Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley. This is Under the Radar. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyap. That's Creole for something extra. As the chief of education for the city of Boston, Ron Dorsey serves as a bridge between his boss, Mayor Marty Walsh, to Boston public schools, colleges and universities, public and parochial schools, and adult education. His job is a cabinet-level position created by Mayor Marty Walsh. Dorsey has been on the job for a little over three months and, by all accounts, hit the job running. And Ron Dorsey joins me here in the studio. Welcome. Thank you so much, uh, Callie. It's wonderful to be here. And I think, as I've shared with you, I'm a huge fan, so I'm, I'm a little giddy right now. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, let's just jump right in because your role has been described uh, in such broad terms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your finger or actually your whole hand is on the all of the educational landscape here in Boston. It mm-hmm. almost feels like it's beyond that as well because everything comes under your purview. But you work in conjunction with all of these other positions that are already out there. So if you could explain how your role as chief of education, this new cabinet level position, fits in with the superintendent uh, and everybody else that's already on board. So, uh, one, does it sound scary to you when yes. you hear it described? It sounds scary to me, but uh, I'm, I'm naive enough not to be completely fearful and overwhelmed by it. Um, so, first, I want to say that, uh, one, I'm not the superintendent of Boston Public Schools. Uh, I always want to make that, that clear. We've got a very capable leader in John McDonough, and we're in the process of searching for Boston's next great leader of his public school system. What my job is, is really to try to create alignment across the pipeline to work with leaders like John McDonough, our uh, heads of higher education, our leadership in early learning, both in school and in community, to really figure out uh, how City Hall can help them uh, produce the quality that young people deserve in the city and how we can align our efforts in a way that makes sure that the experience from pre-K all the way to adult learning is a high quality learning and education experience. So how do you get alignment across very different terrain? I Mm -hmm. mean, I said you're in charge of all of the terrain, Mm -hmm. but how does adult education align with public and parochial schools align yeah. with uh, the mission of the, the Boston public, uh, you know, the regular high school. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know how you do that. So mm-hmm. for me, it starts with strategy mm-hmm. and kind of calling out big themes that are big tents for a number of our actors to live under and think about uh, innovation and quality improvement. And so one theme might be, what are we going to do to modernize student learning? As you well know, some of the things that happen in classrooms and beyond look about the same way they did 100 mm. years ago uh, or 150 years ago. Uh, we're in an era now where wherever you are learning in the community, in a classroom, higher ed, pre-K, that learning has got to be very personalized. It's got to be whole student focused. So it's about the knowledge that you're getting, the skills that you're building, social, emotional wellness. It's got to be pathways oriented and it's got to be technology infused. That's what we think modern learning is. And so If you imagine that, modern learning takes place anywhere that you can imagine. And so that gives me some leverage to talk to a lot of our leaders in education and ask, how can you contribute to the mission? 
Let's talk a little bit about, you know, where you came from, because your background um, as a person who's been at the Bar Foundation most recently, but yes. in other foundations, where you concentrated on, I guess, theories about education, I don't know, but, you know, looking from the outside, that's quite mm-hmm. different from you described your first days as drinking from a fire, fire hose. hose. Yes. <laughs> so on the ground, um, how does that, how are you translating what you thought would work or what you mm-hmm. were moving toward a, a, in a foundation space to making it work in real life? So uh, <laughs> there, there are a few touch points uh, for this. One, I come from a family of educators, a couple of generations growing up in Detroit. My mom was uh, an administrator in Detroit public schools. And so I went to an elementary school where I was taught by her peers. That was the school that she uh, worked at as well. Uh, I went to uh, Ludington Middle School, which was a, a fascinating school, really driven by students in a way where they own their learning in some very uh, interesting ways. And then I came to Concord Academy uh, here in Boston and got a different exposure. So I take my experience as a student and try to think about uh, what helped me and others around me to thrive uh, in that setting and really ignited the passion for learning. Uh, when I was at Apt Associates, which is a public policy research uh, and consulting firm, I really cut across a lot of policy areas, including uh, education. But what I concentrated on was really understanding the power of community and how that moves policy uh, as well. So you will probably see in the work that I do, I will keep asking the question, how can education be a community enterprise where we all uh, take responsibility for learning and education outcomes? We don't just put it on our schools and school systems, but we really try to figure out what happens at home, what happens in the community and what happens in schools uh, to do that. Um, As it pertains to uh, applying theory uh, to practice, Sometimes you find out you're wrong. Oh, okay. Uh, And sometimes you find out uh, that there's a lot more nuance uh, to what you do than than you had anticipated. But I think when you are data-driven in your work and you expect to get feedback and information about the work that you're doing, then you also get serious about taking corrective measures as well. Um, We don't have a a lot of time or or, uh, can't really afford to be wrong too much in education because it really is lives at stake. But at the same time, we want to be more immediately corrective when we can. Okay, so I hear data driven and I go, because and I I say that because it seems to me that the conversation about education as an outsider just looking in has been so Mm -hmm. much about, okay, where are the measurements? How many students passed this test? That's important. How many didn't? and I, you know, I, I keep hearing the expression teaching to the test. Yes. And that to me does not seem to me to be um, certainly, it, to use your words, looking forward or, mm-hmm. or, or the, a modernization of how one learns. Mm-hmm. Uh, so help me understand how that is. Sure. Um, you might remember a few years back when we were redesigning the student assignment system uh, in Boston. One of the things that we heard constantly was that if we're going to judge school quality just by the test, We aren't getting the right picture of school quality. School does a lot more than just prepares you to be a a great test taker. And so we've done some work to create a school quality framework that takes into account that we want young people uh, nurtured in a way where they're building great skill, where they're socially, emotionally well uh, and competent, where schools are igniting passion, where schools are creating the right climate. So we can't measure all of that. And we can't measure all of it well. So some of that is aspirational. 
but I think we want a number of inputs and feedbacks to spark our imagination uh, about what education can be if we're just guided by what the data tell us and the limited amount of data that we have to instruct our course. The imagination won't be great enough for the job that, that we have to do, but uh, the data that we do have are instructive and provide a kind of direction, but it's really the beginning of the conversation. So how do you start moving people away from being gripped on to that, those numbers um, as the, the bottom line of, for mm-hmm. describing anything, really, in education? That's, that's how I, I'm, and I, this is an outsider. Yeah. You know, they, they show me a number and say, that, that's a good school, or that's a bad school, or that's a good teacher. That's pretty much what's mm-hmm. been happening in, in later years. And I want to couple that with something I heard you say in a speech in which you said there's too much hyper-focus on achievement. Yes. Well, my goodness, the achievement gap has been the entire focus. Yes. Uh, so how does that come together so it looks differently and so that data really is not the grid by which yeah. you're yeah. measured? All right, mm-hmm. I, I will try not to ramble on, on no, this one. Don't but, ramble. Uh, <laughs> a couple of points for you. Uh, one, data is often a crutch for us because we don't trust ourselves and we don't trust our instincts. And to some degree, we don't trust our ability to learn. Uh, data just helps us learn some other things, but it's not, uh, it's not a savior uh, of sorts. It doesn't come in and magically do something that we aren't able to do ourselves. It, it gives us the next set of questions to follow. So we have to trust ourselves a little bit more, and especially our teaching professionals, we need to rely on them not just to take that data, but to really understand that young person that's in front of them at a level that is much deeper than the data and say, ah, I think I know how to best reach this young person. I think I know how to best support uh, this young person and provide them what they need to learn. As it pertains to the achievement gap, uh, what I'll say is that um, if we aren't paying as much attention to the opportunity gap, and that's really the difference in life chances between our most affluent families and less affluent families, I don't think we get into the achievement gap very well. We'll get marginal return on our effort. We have to position all students to learn well. And so some of that means addressing factors uh, related to poverty. It has to do with making sure there's community and household stability. When we position students to learn, we know that they can step up. So we can't just focus on the achievement gap. Well, of course, one of your great challenges right away will be this report that just came out that was devastating, yes. looking at the black and Latino boys mm-hmm. and their achievement levels, as you, as it were, in Boston um, public schools. And and that's the word that everybody used, devastating, some mm-hmm. said sobering. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, where do you even begin there? Yep. So the narrative is probably not new to very many people, but I love what Huey Jones had to say about the report when it was released. His statement was, the era of denial is over. Uh, we had a lot of data to back this up. Some things were more speculative than others, but it's out on Front Street uh, now. We've got a set of systemic problems that we're trying to address. One thing that I uh, enjoy about the report is that uh, we can no longer frame this as a black and Latino boys problem. Our boys don't have a problem. Our boys are not uh, a problem. What we do have uh, is a system where there's some systemic bias based in that produces the kind of disproportionality that we see uh, in the system. Uh, some of the problem spots are very clear for us right now. So for me, it's an issue of public and political will. 
uh, as to whether we're going to do something about dismantling some of those things that we know aren't working for black and Latino boys. And honestly, if you are attuned to a lot of civil rights literature, um, things that don't work for some groups actually create a number of detriments for everybody. And so this is not just about dismantling it for those boys, although they are acutely affected, but this is about producing something that's better for Boston. I'm speaking with Ron Dorsey. He is the chief of education. I've been in that position for a few months in a newly created cabinet-level position um, created by Mayor Marty Walsh. So let me ask this, because you've described your role as trusted advisor, Mm -hmm. which sounds like, you know, you meet with people and say, I think, blah, 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 and based on this, and it's all nice. But do you have a stick that you can use, or um, can you say, okay, you know, by the end of December, this must be done. I mean, what is your, what's behind your being a trusted advisor? Yeah. Uh, can can you make it happen? So <laughs> I've, I've used that phrase most directly uh, with relationship to the Boston Public Schools, where uh, I'm working with the superintendent and school committee to make sure that there's a robust strategy uh, for improvement and excellence and that there is a robust plan for execution. Um, with With the school system, I don't necessarily have a stick uh, to make them do uh, anything, nor do I think I I really need it. I mean, the the mayor and I are uh, we're collaborators uh, with the school system. The mayor makes it really clear what his objectives are for excellence. John McDonough is very responsive to that. Michael O'Neill is very responsive to that. And so we're a creative team trying to figure out how to get there with other stakeholders in town. Of course, there's the bully pulpit. Uh, When the mayor is able to say this is what's important to me, it resonates with people. And so uh, I can build on that. I think most of my career I've been a coalition builder. And so people who've worked closely with me uh, know that I'm not going to try to bully you into anything. But there will become a point at which if I do the coalition building work well, the, the momentum is inevitable. And you can make a choice about whether you're on board or not. Okay. Last question. I hear that you, uh, when I hear you speak, and I've looked at, you know, a couple videos and heard you out, you're really, really deeply passionate about um, education. Yes. And I just wanted you to elaborate on that. I mean, I, I hear the, the, the resonance in your whole being as you're talking about what needs to happen for these kids. And you never taught, so I just wonder where it comes no. from. Well, uh, you know, again, from a family of educators, uh, the value of education has been instilled uh, in me all my life. Um, I'm not in the seat that I'm sitting in now if people didn't pour into me, whether they were trained teachers in public schools or private schools that I went to, or if there were people who never bore the title uh, teacher but had this incredible gift for imparting knowledge and teaching skill. Um, it's, it's just been such a wonderful gift to get the, the benefit of other people's knowledge and the transfer of the things that they know. Uh, I think I want it for our young people. All right. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on you and hope you come back and talk to us as uh, time goes on. I hope you'll have me back. All right. Thank you so much. Ron Dorsey is chief of education for the city of Boston, a cabinet level appointment created by Mayor Marty Walsh. Well, that's it for this edition of Under the Radar. Join us next week, Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed and including Lanyap, our Something Extra segment. In the meantime, you can find our show and links to stories we discussed today on the web at wgbhnews.org slash UTR. I'm Callie Crossley. Our engineer is Alan Mattis. Abby Ruzica is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH. WGBH.